Hello, beautiful people. I'm Danny. And I'm Britt. And this is the Gay Cousin Club Podcast. It's still spooky season. It is still spooky season. So, wait, do you have any spooky updates you want to share? I shared a ghost story last time. Uh, no. <laughs> Ooh, okay, I thought so, really hard because I was like, maybe I do. I don't know. I've been watching a lot of like Halloween season stuff, of course. As one and Mike Flanagan is a genius, like Hill House, Bly Manor, all that good stuff, and a shit ton of movies. So I recently rewatched Midnight Mass with my partner because he hadn't seen it. It's not really my vibe. Like religious horror doesn't really affect me because I've never been religious. So to me, it's just kind of like but that shit scares him, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's just kind of a slow burn. We're like, I feel like Hill House was like terrifying from start to finish. So we were both like, it's good, but it's not as good as Hill House. But then we watched the new one, Follow the House of Usher, and as a former English teacher and a snob who loves Edgar Allan Poe, like all the oh, like, it was references good? to his works were so good. Were so good. It's more than just Usher. Usher it's more than just Usher. Usher. Like every episode has multiple references and follows a theme of one of his stories. It's so good. Or one of his oh, poems. Oh, that's really fucking cool. Yeah, it was good. It's still not no Hill House in my mind. Like Hill House is like top tier, will not beat that. I'll, I will rewatch that every year until I die. But I've been trying to convince myself to watch um, 13 Ghosts or um, Ghost Ship. Oh, Ghost Ship holds up. Still terrifying. 13 Ghosts, not scary. Body horror. Okay. But like, uh, like, so like jump scares and body horror, but like overall not scary anymore. Fun, not scary. Like the idea of it, I kind of felt like I was going to throw up when I was getting like, you can do it. You can watch it. It was was so scary as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, but I will say Matthew well, Lillard. My wife doesn't like it, and then like none of my friends here that I would actually that I like watch movies. Yeah, with. I'm the only person that watched scary movies. So, or with you, I mean, yeah. like in your life, because nobody like same thing. I can get my husband to watch them with me now sometimes, but for the most part, I'm the only one that really likes scary movies. He'll watch them I only this time of year. Myself. Yeah, that's too scary. Move closer I'm to me. Not a brave girl. Move closer to me. Problem solved. You move closer to me. Just pick up your house and come this. No, I like my city better than your city reasonable um but ghost ship i think holds up that shit's still scary as hell oh my god i just hulk ripped my fucking shirt nice i was like trying to adjust my arm and (laughs) i've ripped a giant ass hole in my shirt i'm so sad oh i did it i do it all the time because i take off my shirt stupidly i should do like the sexy lady version in a movie where she like puts both (laughs) hands by her hips and pulls it up over her head i'm like no elbows nails and this is ripping my clothes shit no i was trying to do the like i'm a small girl kind of thing where i like pull pull my my shirt sleeve over my arm a little bit more but there's not enough then shirt, you just literally so my the whole thing. snagged and i just, I just <laughs> literally <laughs> ripped it i'm oh, so sad this is my favorite jimmy shirt <laughs> all right well i suppose should we call this meeting on to, that note should we call this meeting to order which should all right so normally our spooky season episodes, Gay Ghosts and Fabulous Phantoms, for those of you that are listening in reverse order, spooky season, we tell stories about queer ghosts because we only talk about queer people on this podcast. But um, normally for our spooky season episodes, I will like tell a couple short stories. The one I had today is like very long, <laughs> not as long as like a regular episode story, but it's too long to add in other stories. So yeah, I don't know how this is going to go. We're just going to uh, just really run excited. out and see what happens. That's not the right use of that now phrase. I'm less excited. <laughs> that's, that's not what that means. That was fucking gross. <laughs> so I'm going to be talking about Frances Grierson, a.k.a. 
Benjamin Henry Jesse Francis Shepard. Most of his life, he went by the name. That's a Jesse. lot of names. Yes. So it's going to be a little confusing. Um, famously, he was eventually known as Francis Grierson, like in the literary world. But back when he first found fame in the music world, he was Jesse Shepard. So part of the story, he's Jesse Shepard, and then he switches to just using Francis Grierson. So I'll kind of let you know when that happens. Or I won't. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll forget and just start <laughs> saying a different name. Doesn't matter. I already warned you. Fuck we'll you. We'll just fucking see. Yeah. Fuck you. No <laughs> expectation. So um, I think you're going to enjoy this one, Danny, because you love that like spiritualist movement era. And that's that's oh. 100%. So this one, I honestly don't talk as much about the hauntings in this one as I do about his life because he was very involved in that okay. movement. So Benjamin. That shit is so fucking cool. It is. It's really cool. I love that. Um, it reminds me of the first Conjuring movie. Am I thinking of the right one? Is it The Conjuring? Where, like, they they have, like, the ectoplasm that, like, comes out of their mouths and shit. Is that The Conjuring? Oh. What is, I don't know. Do you remember The Mentalist? Oh, one? no. It's, like, The Mentalist. Was that what? No, that that was a show. Um, 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 um. Come on, Danielle. No, Haunting in Connecticut. I mean Haunting in Connecticut, and you mean The Illusionist, I think? Thank you. Yes. Let me just double check if it's The Illusionist. No, because The Mentalist was a show. Yeah, no, I know it's definitely not The Mentalist. Oh, it's 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 Illusionist. Yeah. It's the one. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Isn't that the one? I'm just checking because I don't trust myself. Why was I thinking of that movie for this? That was no part of it. No, I'm also thinking of the wrong movie. Illusionist is the Edward Norton one. Are you you're thinking the one with Christian yeah, Bale? Edward Norton and Christian Bale. No, that's a whole separate movie. That's Christian Bale and the guy from um uh, the, the Greatest Showman. Oh, Hugh Jackman. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Everybody's listening to this like this is dumb as fuck. Just get to that. Oh, the prestige. You're thinking prestige. That's <laughs> Like, the, I, the fact that I followed your whole train of thought when none of that made any fucking the mentalist to oh. the prestige. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, you're in, and people are finally seeing how yeah. our conversations work. Yeah, and I was thinking of haunting in <laughs> Connecticut, but I said The Conjuring. But also, first of all, can we just talk about The Prestige for a second? That movie is queer as fuck. You want to tell me those guys were that obsessed with each other just because they were jealous of each other's fame? No. no, they wanted to bang. Okay, boys, bang, and this whole thing wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have had to kill. You wouldn't have had to kill all your clones. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it. The movie's like twenty years old. Fuck you. Okay, I'm good. <laughs> movie's twenty years old. Fuck you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on one today. All right. So I still haven't made it to the first word. So let's try again. Oh shit. <laughs> I'm not even drinking oh, today. Me neither. I have water. Okay, so Benjamin. I have sparkling water. Danny, I gotta try. I gotta try to get through his name at least. Benjamin. Hen- <laughs> Danny, you fuck. <laughs> You're leaving all this in. <laughs> okay, I'll shut up. Okay, Ben. <laughs> Danny, I need you to shut the fuck up. We're never going to get this done. Benjamin Henry Jesse Francis Shepard was born on September 18th, 1848 in Birkenhead. So we're talking like Liverpool, England, nearby-ish. He's a Virgo, right? September 18th. (laughs) I always talk about being a Virgo like I know anything about astrology. I don't. I just feel like it justifies my (laughs) shitty personality. So (laughs) parents... um, Sorry to all the Virgos out there. Well... I'm, I am what I am, and what I am is self-aware and an asshole. So, 
His parents were Joseph Shepard and Emily Grierson. So you kind of pick up on the name Grierson. That'll come in later. So, okay, but those are such like common names. And instead he has 12. Well, Benjamin Henry Jesse Francis Shepard in his, oh yeah, I don't know. Maybe they have 10 names too and I just didn't write those down. I don't know. So they struggled when Depression era hit England at that time. So in 1849, they pick up their family and move to the U.S. in hopes of a better life. Basically, they just kind of want to start anew. Um, they buy farmland in Illinois. The only issue is dad didn't know anything about farming, so it wasn't amazing. But anyway, you know what? They tried. 1849, they hop on the ship called the Montezuma. They come to Illinois. They buy a farm. And they're just, they're going to be farmers now. That's their life. Okay? So Montezuma to Illinois. Yep. That is an interesting train. Sure is. Sure. And remember that name, Montezuma. That'll come back later. Okay. So little Jesse and his sister Letitia didn't uh, attend any kind of like formal schooling while his dad was working as a farmer because they were, they were well, one, it was 1849, but also they were kind of out in the middle of nowhere in like Plains land. Um, so dad's trying his hand at farming and also trying to enter politics. So he's got a lot going on. Isn't this the area that um, like Little House on the Prairie was? Like when they were in like, the dirt house? No? Bitch, I don't know. I read that in third grade. Fuck me. Okay. So my third grade teacher, she bought everybody books, like all the kids' books, which is like very cool. Now, especially as an adult, knowing how expensive books are, that was like very cool move of her. Um, But everybody's was like really specific to their personality. And then I got like the random like third installment in the Little House on the Prairie series and I'd never read any of them. <laughs> and that's when I knew that I was not her favorite student. But I still appreciate it nonetheless because I'm sure she's probably spent a few bucks on that. So that was nice. But yeah, I never read it. Who is your third grade teacher? I'm not going to say your name. No, because uh, I, I remember I read like the whole series. Yeah, I wasn't into it. So I was into it. Yeah, I was never a teacher's favorite student until high school. And then one of my English teachers told me I was her favorite when I graduated. But she waited until I graduated to tell me. You know who you yeah, are. Yeah, most of the time, the teachers would, like, be wary of me the next year. Like, you that's know not, how your sister that's was. That's literally not true. I never spoke. Okay, I was kind of an ass in middle school because the teacher... No, I don't want to be like, fuck teachers because I was a teacher. But I did have this yeah. teacher in middle school who followed my grade for, like, two or three years. Like, she kept moving up with us. And she had our dad when he was in middle school and our dad was like an actual uh, delinquent like that kid should have been in juvie yeah. like fucked up shit and she just assumed that i was gonna be like him and on the first day of school she told me off in front of the whole class and then like that next couple weeks we had to give a speech and she made me start the beginning line of my speech over so many times that i lost count and i started crying in front of everybody so then yeah i just kind of acted like a dick after that and that's not good but i was for a little bit i was a little bit of a dick and then the one teacher, that the only other teacher that was mean to you besides her because of me was that one science teacher. And that's because I didn't stand for the Pledge mm -hmm. of Allegiance. And he berated me in front of everybody for it. And guess what? I ain't no puppet. It's okay. I uh, was balancing my chair on the leg of the table in his class. I still distinctly remember this because the embarrassment has seared in like your your 2 a.m. thoughts where you think yep. of like hugging my boss, your, your principal. Yep. I think of this. I think of this. Um. Because it was like, it was a science table, you know, so they have like, it, it's not a regular table. They're, the bars were on the side. I was balancing my leg on that bar. And then he like scared me. So it shifted. <laughs> the leg fell on the outside of the bar. So I have three legs, not like three legs where you can scoot one leg where it, no, no, you stuck. But I it fell down so far that I was like trapped up against the table and like I couldn't fix it. And I didn't want to tell him that I couldn't breathe. <laughs> but then, because body dysmorphia, I was in sixth grade and I was like, I'm going to be too heavy for anyone to move. <laughs> so 
like, did it say anything until the end of class? And everyone had left, and I was still sitting there, and he was like, oh, my what God. What are you doing? That's and so I was bad. like, I'm stuck. <laughs> Worst thing, he was my homeroom teacher, so I had him two more times that He was day, my so. homeroom teacher, too, because he had that part of the alphabet. <sighs> so that sucks. Anyway, so about Jesse. Yeah, we Grierson. literally didn't make it anywhere into the story. Cool. All right, so Jesse and Letitia didn't have any formal schooling. That's where we went. That's what happened. We went from fucking Little House on the Prairie through seventh grade science trauma. Okay, so they're in the Plains areas, remember? So, like, Jesse's dad's out there, like, trying to stay in politics, trying to be a farmer. Um, Mom is at home, super lonely. Um, But she would, she was, like, still a pretty cool lady, I guess. She would host, like, sick or needy people in their home. Plus, I think, like, she just kind of needs somebody to talk to. But they, their financial struggles weren't really looking up, of course. Like, they came to the U.S. for a better life, but... Joseph doesn't know how to farm. So, like, he doesn't know how to handle these horses. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing on the farm. But he seemed to do, like, okay with politics. At the very least, he made some, like, powerful friendships. We keep on going back to him. Who do you think he became friends with in Illinois in the 1850s? I was like, are we going to bring up our baby boy? Baby, baby. Our Gabraham Lincoln. Baby, baby. Yeah, so Gabraham Lincoln. He was a candidate for senator of Illinois at this time. So they became such close friends that Jesse and his family were actually at Lincoln's final debate against his opponent in 1858, um, Stephen Douglas. So they were actually invited to go to that. The gay world is very, very interconnected. And also, fun fact, I guess the family's cabin was a stop on the Underground Railroad. So lots of... That's fucking cool. Yeah, lots of like interesting things in his childhood, even though things were a little tough, too. Um, but because of his dad's like political pursuits, when Jesse was 10, the family moved to St. Louis... Um, just kind of following this, and at the um, when they got there, remember Jesse's ten. He gets a job as a page, which is like a like a messenger servant kind of thing that a kid does for an older dude usually. Um, for General John C. Fremont, and did that for like five years. Then the family moves to Niagara Falls, and then again to Chicago. So moving a lot throughout his life. Okay, he does it as an adult. So too. Illinois to Missouri to New York to back to Illinois. But, uh, yeah, basically. So okay. during this time, one constant for Jesse was that he studied piano. He, like, formally, he only got, like, really, like, rudimentary lessons, like, really basic stuff. So he didn't know how to read music, but he could play these, like, gorgeous compositions, like, arrangements just by ear, which I think is so cool. We were band kids, and um, one of the girls that I shared my stand with for a couple years, because you, like, share a music stand with somebody, whatever, um, she could, like she would figure out songs by ear and i just thought that was the coolest thing like she would figure out like we would pick a song and she would like figure it out by ear and we'd write out the sheet music it was so cool that's so fucking cool yeah anyway i just find that very interesting so okay throughout the 1860s he toured the atlantic coast he played recitals in all kinds of different cities he's always moving during these travels he gets to meet like a lot of notable people that are coming to his shows and one of them was walt whitman the famous poet and they actually became lifelong friends so he just has like right yeah i know he it's the gay circles man he just kind of like has all these interesting connections throughout his life but um so 1868 is when they got to know each other and then they kind of were like almost like pen pals basically they wrote each other for the rest of their lives which is very cool so when he was 20 so all these moves have been happening before he was even 20 so he's that's crazy when he's 20 jesse hops back on a boat goes over to europe again and he's in france in 19 or 1869 sorry um, to pursue okay. a career in music because he realizes like this is what I'm good at this is what I want to do so he moves around a lot in Europe of course just like he did with his family in his childhood months weeks at a time he's staying in the homes of different people 
as he's traveling. But since he was like becoming a well-known musician, it was kind of like, you know, we talked about salons and stuff in the past on other episodes. Yeah. He would just like stay in the homes of aristocrats and play for them and like play for their friends and their parties and stuff. So they would host him there and it was cool. Like he gets a lot of respect from them and gets to know them and friendships, but they also like gave him like really extravagant gifts. Like he had this like really crazy gold watch and all kinds. Like he had a huge collection by the time he was older. That's super fucking cool. Mm. Um, He's also getting the respect of other musicians. The fact that he couldn't like read music didn't matter. Like people could see his talent. Um, And at one point he's invited to Russia, to St. Petersburg to play like in front of the czar in 1871. Whoa. Yeah. So, during this trip, interestingly, he's introduced to the czar's personal medium, which would love to have one of those. Tell me what I'm doing wrong with my life. See into the stars. Or okay, it just makes ghosts. Or I don't tell me. Tell me what you do. Uh, Rasputin. Raw, raw. I know. <laughs> that Literally, while I was writing my notes, I was going, raw, raw, Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I want to start doing just dance. But yes. So he's introduced to the czar's personal medium. And um, this guy, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I forgot to pronounce names, not comment. But um, he taught. Try it anyway. I'll cut it out. Right? General Zorowski. Keep it. I feel confident. <laughs> no, I, was, no, I fucking nailed yeah. that shit. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he taught Jesse about spiritualism and how to conduct. Guess what? Seances. Seances. So. Motherfucking seance. Yeah. Jesse had always been really fascinated by the occult since his childhood. Me too. He, I mean, he lived out in the middle of the plains in Illinois. So, like, creepy sounds at night. Like, you're, you, like, when you're. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, like, we grew up in, like, kind of a. We didn't live in a rural part, but, like, we lived in a town that was pretty rural. Like, when you're out at night and you hear, like, the cicadas and whatever else, like, you, your mind wanders as a little kid. Like, you fill in those blanks, you know? So. I think that's oh cool. my god, yeah. So what she remember playing um Ghost in the Graveyard oh, and hell like, yeah. we would scare ourselves so yeah, much. Yeah, we would play Ghost in the Graveyard with our two neighbor boys and one of us would always go home crying, usually Danny. Just kidding, it wasn't Danny, it was one of the boys. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was one of the boys. We love you. I don't know if you still listen to us. He used to listen to us. We love you. Actually that was mean. We were really mean. We scared people on purpose. We were. Yeah. Okay. I apologize. Uh forgive me for my sense. All right. So Jesse had been fascinated <laughs> by the occult since his childhood when he'd hear those creepy noises, all right? So, isolated farm, of course, like, what else are you going to do? So, this is something that he was always interested in, just like he was always interested in music. So, this almost becomes, like, a like dual passions for him. Like, okay. he loves one just as much as the other. So, he figures, why not combine them? Oh, my God. I was like, does he become a slashy? I love yes. it. We, For reference, a slashy is what our friend calls, like, singer slash songwriter slash actresses slashies. So, he becomes a slashy. He becomes a medium slash musician. So his whole shtick was that he could like call upon the spirits of famous composers like Chopin, Mozart, Beethoven, and they would inhabit him while he played. Oh, and, and I guess I saw that. Okay. So that I saw in like a number of sources, but then there was like only one source that I saw. So I'm not sure. Like, don't quote me on this part, but somebody said that he had this like, really impressive vocal range where it could almost make it sound like it was like two different voices. So I don't know if that part's true, but if it is, that would be so cool to see. Because then it would really be like, oh, somebody's taking over him, you know? So. Oh, that would be so scary. So that was his thing. Like, he would travel around to, like, politicians, like, aristocrats, and he would call upon the spirits of these. Because rich folk love ghosts. Rich folks love a fucking ghost. So they would call on these composers. (laughs) Oh, and at different times, he actually also claimed that he was a vessel for, like, Julius Caesar. (laughs) 
course, um, uh, Egyptian royalty, Shakespeare. So his seances. Everybody says that. Of course, They're of like, course. Oh, I know. Julius Caesar's always fucking there if he just wants to party. Yeah, his seances <laughs> were concerts, but also like a who's who of history. Okay. So he did return to the U.S. in 1874 because he realized, like, God, he just wanted to learn more about this like other craft. He had spent his childhood learning about music, but now he really wanted to hone this other skill. So in 1874, he visits the Eddie Brothers farm in, I think it's Chittenden, Vermont. I might be saying, I'm not sure. Do you, are you familiar with, the, familiar with the Eddie Brothers farm, Danny? Not even a little bit. Okay. So here's a quote from American Hauntings. Uh, allegedly, all manner. You're already telling me this is going to be good. Okay. Uh, allegedly, all manner of bizarre phenomena was said to be taking place in the home of William and Horatio Eddie, two middle-aged illiterate brothers and their sister, Mary. The Eddies lived in an unkempt two-story building that was reported to be infested with supernatural beings of such numbers that had never been reported before or since. The events, no, I don't like that. <laughs> the events at the farm were said to be so powerful and so strange that people came from all over the world to witness them. Mm-mm. Spiritualists began calling Chittenden the spirit capital of the universe. No. So no thanks. There was a, success, a successful attorney named um, Colonel Henry Steele Alcott, who was like a total skeptic didn't believe in any of this stuff but he went on to investigate the happenings at the eddie farm and he bought in um so with he and this woman um madam helena p plavatsky she was a ukrainian mystic they founded the theosophical society so jesse ends up going to see them at the eddie farm because he wants to learn more about this craft and learn from them so his hope is that he's going to learn enough to be just as famous in the u.s as kind of like the fame he had been building in europe for himself like he wants to okay yeah like have that same um, but i mean it's a different audience so he needs to have sure yeah yeah so different repertoire he starts a musical tour across america um and he goes all the way out to san diego it's kind of like a pioneer town at the time so he's performing in these like old like barns essentially with like owls in the rafters real creepy shit and he wrote that the city had, quote, an atmosphere of transcendental silence. So this guy's just good at being creepy, and I dig it. But, well, yeah, at the end, I mean, he, he's he been writing with Walt Whitman this whole time. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. Of course, the transcendental. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Um, Transcendental movement. So in 18- 18... I was going to say, Walt Whitman was a member of the transcendentalism movement. Yes, he was. In case mm-hmm. literary nerds aren't listening to And people turned us off. Okay, so in 1880, <laughs> after another long tour, this time he went all the way out to Australia. So he's been like all over the place. Uh, Good day. He just never stopped moving. Dude, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> he moved to Chicago. I deserved that. So he's moving back to Chicago and he's conducting his own seances in the home of a paranormal medium. So kind of calling on all that energy. No. Okay. This just feels so dangerous. Oh, we'll see. So at this time in his life, he meets a young tailor, uh, 22-year-old Lawrence Waldemar Tonner. He was an immigrant from Denmark, so that's not actually like his given name. That's the name he went by eventually, like more Americanized. Um, okay. But Lawrence, again, 22 years old, quiet young man. He becomes Shepard, who was 37 at the time, his personal secretary. Um, they we very all know what that rela- means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very obviously had a relationship <laughs> that was not just business. Um, but Lawrence was very uninterested in public attention he did everything he could he was in the background he's there to support jesse okay okay cool so so they presented as close friends and business partners but they lived together they shared a home and worked together for 40 years so i don't know abe lincoln shared a bed and that yeah, right, oh, scratch in my head yeah. 
Um, so they were definitely in a relationship, but it's honestly super hard to find information about it because uh, Lawrence did not Lawrence want that to be all the stay public. out of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and also like just he had his own ch- uh, his own um, persona to kind of keep up with. So. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. The first, so I'm gonna be honest. That's like the extent of the queer parts here. There's even like I'll, I'll bring up Lawrence throughout this, but it's not like I'm telling the romance. We're focusing on spooky stuff because it's spooky season. Okay. So yeah, I mean it's the same as your Abe Lincoln. Yeah. Story, so no big deal. So the first spiritualist society in San Diego became aware of this like famous psychic pianist, and they said, Jesse, come on out west. Don't just come and put on a show for us. Don't just come and work with us. Come and live with us. That sounds culty. So he goes to visit this this cottage known as the Searchlight Bower. It was the home of like a group of spiritualists. So they yeah, they super culty. <laughs> but no, two newer I'm calling it. There were these two really wealthy farmers that were newer members on um, William and John High. They thought Jesse was like God's gift. He they were blown away by his talent, his seances, all of it. They said, Jesse, if you stay out here, we will pay for the construction of a home. To whatever specifications you want, no limits. Okay, our videos are off, so you can't see, but my eyebrows are as high as they go. Like this is a fucking cult. Jesse, accepted, but but I mean, like somebody offers to build you your dream house, no limitations. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm totally. But I would be like, oh, you, no, but... it doesn't have to be lamping. You're like, oh, this will be cool, but it's fine. No, and Jesse was like, fuck yeah, and this is my long ass list. So he accepts <laughs> the author, sends us huge list of specifications. And construction begins in 1887. It is a mansion, okay? So San Diego is now a bustling city of industry. So that's where this mansion is going to be. And Jesse's plan for his home were kind of contrasting with what the region was looking like. He went full Queen Anne revival, spooky, like Victorian. Okay. Yeah. So t- we're, we're calling tur- talking like turrets, um, mythical creatures on the roof line, all that shit. Yeah. Yes. So it definitely... He's like, I'm going to hold seances here. It's oh, going to be yeah. fucking haunted. There's going to be demons. I'm going to make yeah. sure it looks apart. He, and it totally reflected that. Like the mysticism, the romanticism, the the artistry like of his life. If that is not a flamboyant queer. Oh, oh girl. We'll just wait. So it was like brightly colored too. Green and red. Oh. There's a huge tower room. There was a dragon weather vane. Um, a domed roof that he uses as study. Um... <laughs> There, there were these like really elegantly carved staircases. There were knights, like or, or, like knight clad stained glass. Like yeah, it, in, in fucking America. Okay. And the second story, the entire second story of the house was just a travel museum of all the gifts those rich people had given him, like all the European rist- aristocrats. Like literally a museum. Okay, but that's a fucking flag. That is a flag. That, cool that is cool as shit. That is cool as yeah. shit. So then like the living spaces were all downstairs. So, like the master bedroom, guest bedrooms, all of that were actually on the first floor along with the most famous room, the music room. So the music room takes up this whole like eastern side of the house and that's where he entertained his guests. That's uh-huh. the ghosts. He entertained the ghosts. But like really famous people too. Like like literary greats were there. Like people, like these weren't just like Joe Schmo coming and like being yeah, like. In spirit. <laughs> in spirit. No, like actual alive famous people. Um, Whoa. <laughs> so he had like this big image of St. Cecilia over an intricate pipe organ. Like not just a piano, a pipe organ. Should I know who St. Cecilia is? I don't know, but it sounds fucking okay. like over the top sounds, intense. sounds over the top the longest wall because because th- this is the thing like the walls all had like crazy portraits that's kind of what i'm getting at here so that's the first one and it was oh, over okay. the top of this huge pipe organ 
Then the longest wall has a huge portrait of Sappho surrounded by her followers. So like, he's like, no. okay, honey. Okay. <laughs> so um, then there were like two. He's like, I like what you did with the place. <laughs> There's two colorful like picture windows. And they have, like, they actually have, like, imagery. So one, it's like, the whole idea is it's supposed to be, like, the conflicting ideas of his conflicting ideas of humankind. So they, one, it's got, like, this medieval knight. And he's, like, this, just the show of force, essentially, and aggression. The other one is this robed person carrying a staff. They look more noble, refined, knowledgeable. And guess what? The person with the robe and the staff had Jesse's face. (laughs) And this this sassy little boy, he later wrote about it. Every man is a god in his own house. I'm like, yeah, bitch. Yeah, oh, you are. Boy, uh, Love that for him. Oh, what do you think he named the house? Because, of course, a house sassy. like that, you have to give a name. Oh, oh, um, the ship. Yeah. Not not Medusa, not Methuselah. Yeah. Montezuma. Yeah, so he named the house Villa Montezuma as a nod to that ship that brought him to the U.S. the first time as a child. Is that why I knew that name? No, I think Montezuma's probably... I've, I've heard that before. Isn't that a place? I'm pretty positive it's a place. Never mind, I feel like it's aztec I think it's a city. Montezuma. Yeah, it's Aztec. One of the, Oh, Montezuma was one of the last Aztec emperors. I'm a fucking history buff. Montezuma's revenge. That's what we know. Yes, that's what I knew I promo. Okay, yep. thank you. So anyway, so not only is this house wild as fuck, but he was also kind of known to be a little bit... So he was kind of un, like unpredictable. So with all this grandeur and like gothic creepiness, mysticism, this life he set up for himself, he got like bored with it. And... He decided, yeah, you know what? Let's shake this bitch up. And he started attending Catholic masses. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's gonna. He's gonna keep you guessing. Our our girl Jesse. Like yeah. Hard record scratch. Yeah. So he decides to kind of pursue this. Like we already know that he can write, so he pursues now a career in literature, but like heavily influenced by like Catholicism. So he okay. yeah. So in June of 1887, his first essays published under the pen name Francis Grierson. He is trying to distance himself from that spiritualist persona because people know who Jesse Shepard is. So this is mm-hmm. Francis Grierson is what he's going to be known for throughout the rest of his life. Okay, so okay. that first essay was published in a magazine called The Golden Era, and it's like actually like pretty huge. So it's like a reputable reputable magazine. Mark Twain was known to write for them pretty frequently. Anyway, his essay is about like a French Catholic priest who Jesse met during his time in Europe. So I guess he's pretty influenced by that. Anyway. Then he traveled with Lawrence, remember his boyfriend, to Paris the next year to see the publication of a collection of his writings. So this time, Francis, Jesse, and Lawrence were in kind of like dire straits, though. So he he's starting this new career, but like the money was in his seances and his music. That's where he was mm-hmm. breaking it in. And now they're struggling. So they actually had to borrow against the home to afford the travel. So they weren't oh. they were not in that home for very long. And then they were traveling, and then they just didn't have any money. Problem also is that Francis never charged his audiences for his concerts, so he just wasn't making any more money with his writing. Not a savvy businessman. Because he was getting all these gifts before, like he didn't have to worry about it, but now things are changing. I mean, he got his whole house for free, but things are changing. Mm-hmm. They're growing in debt, for sure. They need a steady income, so they decide we have to stay living in Europe and like work on this literary career because I'm at least getting some stuff published here. So they only returned in 1889 to San Diego long enough to sell Villa Montezuma. So they were there for like two years. Aww. Yeah. 
and they sold it fully furnished. If I was the farmers, I'd be kind of pissed. Yeah, right? <laughs> You're supposed to be their cash cow. So yeah, they, they sell Villa Montezuma fully furnished and then return to France. Writing, as most people know, is a difficult career. Uh, you, you're going to struggle. Um, not a very small fraction of people make it big. Um, and Francis and Lawrence struggled a lot when they traveled through France and Italy. Um, not to mention, like, there's this constant, like, stress and aggression in the air because, like, we're coming up on the First World War. Like, t- tensions are high. So they decide, let's get out of here. They go back to New York in 1913. Francis's fame is dwindling. He hasn't been doing the music. He hasn't been doing the seances. His writing is not really that popular. So he writes a series of books that didn't do particularly well. The Valley of Shadows was a collection of memoirs on growing up in like rural Illinois prior to the Civil War. Then he tried his hand with the Celtic temperament, modern mysticism, and psychophone messages. Kind of going back to spiritualist roots, still didn't really do that well, though, which is unfortunate. Okay. I, you kind of hope, like, that's what he was good at, so maybe it would, go, it would help. But I think, like, his music is really what drew people in. Well, and plus, if he's still using the Francis Grierson name, like, right. I feel like he's not going to do as well yeah. with that audience. Yeah, you distance yourself from the name that was doing well with them, yeah. So, mm-hmm. in the early 1920s, um, they moved to L.A., and they're, like, literally near poverty. They had to stay in a boarding house. They didn't have anything. Wow. And times were so desperate. And Francis is aging. So, like, Lawrence is trying to take care of him. So, Lawrence, remember, he was a tailor before. So, he goes back into the dry cleaning business to try to pay their bills. And it's just, like, not making enough of a dent. Like, they're spending more than they're making. It's not working. So, he also goes on to, like, teach language lessons because he's fluent in several languages. Like, Lawrence is Lawrence is a real run. Right, he's Lawrence. really trying to help here. So, yeah. he's just really trying to support Francis financially and let Francis do... What makes him happy, which is very sweet, but damn, Francis, get a job. It's really sad, though, for Lawrence. Yeah. So, Francis is forced to sell off all those gifts. Remember, he sold the house fully furnished, but all those expensive gifts, he had those, but they need money. So, he's trying to sell them off for what he can. He's trying to, like, actually make what they're worth. So, he's approaching charitable organizations, but a lot of them, like, they couldn't help. Like, they're not going to purchase some of these things, you know? Yeah. So, finally... Jesse's for or Francis, sorry, is forced to sell his most prized possessions. That's that gold watch that I mentioned before. Okay. Um. So in in May of 1927, he sells the gold watch. And what I forgot to mention before is from it was a gift from King George. Oh. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. That's a so that's like yeah idea. yeah he had been holding onto that one for a while. So. No wonder. Yeah. So then later that month in May, um, Francis arranges a benefit concert in LA. So he's hoping that he can like raise the funds he needs to survive essentially. So he So the benefit is for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like something okay. I said was it was like a benefit for a friend, but it sounds like it was for I think maybe it meant it was like being held for his friends to support him because that's the impression I got is that it was to help him like raise like he needed funds to survive literally. Yeah. So, whatever, he's playing, there's an audience there like enraptured by him. Like, they they think he's, like, amazing. Because he is. But... That's cool. So he finishes his final piece. It's, like, a masterpiece. He... It's this really dramatic moment at the end. He has his head bent down. His fingers are still on the final keys. People are, like, uproariously applauding him. It's amazing. Does homie die? He's not moving. And the audience... No. The audience quiets down. He's still sitting there with his finger on the keys. And they're like, what's going on with Francis? Lawrence approaches him at the piano. Like, puts his hand on him. His hands are still on the final chord. Francis had passed away no. playing the last note. No. No. And for Lawrence, to, oh my 
God. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. That's poetic as fucking shit. And also yeah. so creepy. So creepy. So creepy. Oh, that feels like such a bad omen for anybody who was there. Yeah. So this takes us now to Villa Montezuma. So we know, okay, Francis was only there for a couple years, but he was holding seances there. There's all kinds of crazy shit happening there. The energy had his face be part of the window. Yeah, the energy is different. So since it was sold by Francis and Lawrence, Villa Montezuma underwent some very difficult some might even say cursed times so francis sold the house to david d dare um who (laughs) turned out to be a fucking con man bank examiners began to realize there were some discrepancies with dare's um commercial handlings so they're looking into him and dare is getting accused of embezzlement by his business partner um, and as soon as he gets accused of embezzlement, he's like, business I dare you to trust me. Well, when he once that accusation is made by the business partner, the business partner very suddenly completes suicide. So I'm not saying I'm not making any I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying it's, the timelines are a little interesting. I am. So <laughs> a point point. Yeah. Dare like really quickly after this suicide sells off the house to H.P. Uh, Palmerston in January of 1890. So he had owned it for like less than a month. It disappears to Europe. Palmerston was very clearly swindled by Dare because he is not able to afford the property payments and Villa Montezuma's foreclosed oh. on in 1893. Oh, wow. Okay. So then the home is sold at auction for like half the cost of the last sale and bought even again for even less by Dr. George Kalmus. Dr. Kalmus's wife actually taught piano lessons from the music room. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. But uh, times didn't stay happy for long. Dr. Kalmus went bankrupt. Oh, yeah. And deserted his wife in 1906, leaving her with two mortgages. Oh, super cool. Love that. Love, Love that. that. Yeah. Great guy. Cool. So then, of course, she can't afford the house. So Villa Montezuma sold that auction again to George Sinclair. So for three years, seances were held in the home while Sinclair rented the property to Mr. and Mrs. George Montgomery and this person named Guy White. So Mrs. Montgomery would act as the medium and the men carried on like a real estate business in the background. I don't really know how like above board all that was, but... Weird, weird (laughs) shit is continuing in the house. Like the energy is fucking strange. So, Mm -hmm. again, doesn't last very long. It's all very quick. Villa Montezuma was then purchased by Frank Lynch and his wife Georgia in 1909, and they were the longest residents. They stayed in the house until their deaths in 1942, which is oh yeah, so like yeah, actually a long time. Um, and then for six years, World War II soldiers uh were kept in the home as like a boarding house, and then Villa Montezuma was bought by Edward Campbell. He only had it for four months, and basically he went through the walls looking for hidden treasures. He was convinced that some of those gifts were still there, <laughs> so he buys the house just to search through it for four months, and then he's like, ah, fuck. And then he sells it, and like, he, he's getting rid of it. Just kidding, I don't want this. Yeah. So then in 1950, um, a family called the Jaegers, uh, as a retired engineer and then a retired silent film actress, they move in. After the mansion had sat vacant for two years, it's just not in very good shape anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Carl passed away eight years later. His wife could not take care of this house by herself. And it was just kind of like falling apart. And then there was this like really intense fire in 1968. After that, it's taken over by the San Diego Historical Society in 1970. Thankfully, since then, um, they opened it up in 1972 as a museum and restoration efforts have like kept to keep it open since then. They're only open like three or four times a year now, but it's, oh, it's being wow, taken okay. care of at least. Um, but with a track record like that, it definitely seems like there's something going on in this house. Definitely some negative energy. 
There's been ongoing rumors of a curse. And it even got the nickname the Spook House. And it it lives up to the nickname. <laughs> Here we are. Spooky stuff. The earliest rumors of a haunting began in 1910. The owners of the time claimed that seances um, that had once been held there, like, attached spirits to their home. Like, it opened something. Like, they're able to come in and out now. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to the seances that first welcome the spirits, we know what happens when people start remodeling and restoring haunted houses. Ghosts don't like it. Ghosts don't like <laughs> they're that. Gonna they start, don't like it when you do that. They're going to start acting up, and they're going to do it at night because it freaks you out. So... Excuse me, I liked that color. I picked that color. Fuck you. That was my favorite wallpaper. Um, it's been <laughs> said that in the glow of the moonlight, you could see a dark figure of a hanged man in one of the tower windows. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a, No, I, that's that's needlessly spooky, that's, sir. That's very spooky. So it's, well, apparently it's Francis's former butler who, like, really sadly took his own life after his wife died. So now oh. he he's supposed to be this man that hanged himself, but he, that that big tower, like where Francis had his office or whatever, um, the the butler now apparently peers down at the window at passersby from in the middle of the night. I hate that yeah, gives so me much. Um, and many have said, of course, that Francis himself returned to the home where he was once successful because um, that was the last time he was really doing well. You know, I'm sure he had moments of happiness mm-hmm. beyond that, but that was the first time that he was doing well. But also. This was this house was a monument to him, to his persona, to his success. His face was in yeah, the window. Yeah, makes sense that like if his spirit didn't pass on, that it would be drawn back there. Yeah. So many have said that they see him, like they see um, a, a tall man in a gray suit that they believe is Francis that was first seen in the 1960s. And apparently, there's uh, this blue-eyed Abyssinian cat. I think is how you say it. So it's like you know those ones with like the super pointy ears. Ooh. Apparently, one of those walked up to the front of the house once and just like invited itself in, and it made the mansion its new home. And the locals started calling the cat Psyche, and it somehow it survived that crazy fire in 1968. So, and it's like people say it oh. like lived way longer than it should have. So some are like, is that Francis? Is Francis hanging out? As <laughs> a cat? I don't know. Is Francis a cat now? Remember, he only lived there for two years, but locals, I guess, think that like the the trauma experienced after the move, the psychic ties to the house, portals being opened, weird energy from all the shit that happened after that have just like, you know, drawn him back in. Yeah. So that it was a literal monument to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a strong presence can be felt all over the house, but especially in the music room. Like you're pulled there, um, which makes sense because that's where Francis not only performed music, but like held his seances. And your part late at night. Beautiful arrangements can be heard coming from the locked music room. Mm-hmm. Oh, I knew it was going to be ooky because, like, you you have this, this tone of your voice that, like, when it's about to be something that's, like, ooh, mm, like drop spooky, you get the same, I like, that, scary though. stories. Immediately my eyes start watering. I'm like, Whoa. don't you? I love that, though. Like, I can just picture, like, the big stately doors locked, but you just hear that music come. Oh, this would make such a good movie. <laughs> It would. Yeah. That's really good. I like that. But that's a story. I don't. That's a story I of don't like Jesse that, Shepard, a- a- aka Francis Gerson, aka Psyche the Cat, aka Psyche the Cat. That's fucking cool. That was a fun one. That was a fun one to read about. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad I didn't read about it. No, yeah, you would have liked it. <laughs> yeah. It's like with any scary movie, like I have a hard time watching it at first. So Britt will give me the entire plot. Mm-hmm. Tell me everything that happened, and then I'll be like, okay. Then I watch the movie, and then I'm still scared. And she's like, well, I don't want to give you any spoilers. I'm like, no, spoil it. I'm probably not yeah. going to watch it anyway. And then I watch like, it. 
when except my, that one movie the the like the film yeah one? i was just gonna say when my husband I and i were first dating we went to see sinister in theaters and you can say what you want about sinister now watching it on streaming or on dvd is not like watching it in theaters watching it in theaters the weekend it came out fucking horrifying i literally like i couldn't <laughs> breathe and i told him i think i'm gonna have an asthma attack and he was like i think i am too and he doesn't have asthma like i think like <laughs> I think we were we were both like we both like could not breathe. It was so horrifying. I've never experienced that before. But anyway, so we get back. I was living with Danny in an apartment at the time because we were in college. So we get back and we're like telling her about the movie. And I was saying like I really want you to watch this one. And she was like, No, you just just tell me about it. I'm too scared to watch it. So we literally gave her in an hour and a half play by play of every scene of the movie. Like she essentially watched the movie because we told like we sat there for almost like an hour and a half, two hours, and told her the whole plot of the movie. And her eyes are like pouring tears because when she gets scared, her eyes water. So there's just like tears running down her whole face. Also, Danny, you're snotting. And then your spouse was like, "Um, are you crying? Are you okay? No, I'm just really scared. It's okay. Keep going. He was like, I feel bad. I feel like we shouldn't tell her this. And Danny was like, tell me more about the murderous children. (laughs) I'm like, if you don't tell me now, I'm going to fill in the blanks in my head when I'm trying to sleep. And it's going to be scarier. Oh, that movie's so scary. It's the POV, though, of that old Super 8 film. That's what makes it so scary. It's like you're watching it happen like you're the one filming it. Ooh, it's so gross. Yeah. Or um, well, was it The Conjuring, the one with the scary nun? Yeah, or The Nun. Okay, yeah. well, no, we didn't watch The Nun. Um, oh, the, so conjuring the Conjuring we watched okay. when we were my freshman year of college. So we weren't living together yet, but I went to your apartment. Watched that it. came out that early? Oh, I suppose. Our, no, The Nun was in the early Conjuring movies, and then they made The Nun series. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. That wasn't Which The Nun was movie. Okay, that was all of my roommates had gone home that weekend. Your roommate yeah. had gone home that weekend. So you walked over to my apartment because, like, we both lived on campus from the dorms. Mm-hmm. And we watched, we did a movie sandwich. We watched, like, a quirky, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, it was the t- early 2010. So it was, like, a quirky, like. like James Franco. Yeah, that. like that kind of shit. So we watched a movie like that, and then we watched. Um, it was Insidious, and then after that That's we watched. That's what I was. After that, we watched like a cartoon movie because we needed to make like a movie sandwich because yeah. we were so scared. And I wanted you to stay. Oh, I remember we were both like holding our pee while we were watching Insidious. Yeah, I literally the... like almost pissed my pants. We, we didn't want to. Wa- no, we didn't want to pause the movie, and then we had to pause the movie because we did pee. Both of us peed our pants, Danny. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, we did. Both of us peed our pants because we screamed. Yeah. I don't remember what it happened. Like it was a jump scare. We both the, screamed. We both the scary we lady. Both... Yeah, 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 yeah scary lady at the end oh my god so like we both looked at each other and i was like i peed and you were like Meh. but anyway no okay because i remember then that like i was too scared to get up because i had to go across the room to turn the light on it and i'm like it's yeah. too dark i'm so scared but i couldn't turn on the tv because the remote was over on my roommate's bed and then i would have to get down on the ground i'm like this was only because i was me. i so was i literally... just had like my phone on the entire night like I, I could not figure out how you had the balls to walk home by yourself. I was so scared because we were on like a wooded campus too. It's like a I don't run, to but I ran. Night. Yeah, but I was like laying in my bed in that apartment, and every little noise that I heard in this old building, I was like, I would so I wanted to text you and be like, "Could you please come back? I don't want to sleep here alone." But I also didn't want to be a pussy, so I didn't. And then the next day, you were like, "I didn't sleep at all last night. That was bullshit." I'm like, "You should have flipped over. It was so scary." <laughs> it was so scary, but also like to get back from my place towards you, like I felt like. My my dorm was like more central campus, and your apartment was like the boonies, the tree line. I'm like, there's yeah. no fucking way I'm walking back yeah. towards your place. Yeah, and at night uh-huh. when you hear when you hear those leaves are rattling against the apartment building, that's very scary. Mm-hmm. Very scary. Yeah. 
Burr is great. We should probably wrap this up. Yeah, we should wrap this up. All right. So y'all can find us on thegaypiecesclub.com. We got TikTok. We got Instagram. Follow us. I'll post some creepy pictures of the house. It's very cool. I'll post creepy pictures. Yeah, definitely follow us on TikTok. I think we are very funny. And if you don't, suck it. So there. I don't know. Okay. Should we say meeting adjourned? Meeting adjourned. Bye. Love Uh you. Love you. Hate ourselves. (laughs) Put me over. Let me do the wheel and drive it up close. Okay. Pew.